Okay, open your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 19, and we'll talk about Pentecost. Pentecost is a feast or a festival that Jews have observed for thousands of years. Three major times of the year, the Jews were to celebrate festivals or feasts. One was the Feast of Passover. Second was the Feast of Pentecost. Third was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, these have different names in Scripture, so I'm just going to take a few moments at the beginning here and lay these out from Scripture, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and get into the meat of it, which is how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because Pentecost is about the coming of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and we want to get into how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So my whole thesis is this. Every one of you, all who are born again, all who are part of Christ's body are candidates to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's you. It's you. You're a candidate this morning to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Acts, I, I, Acts listen to me. Exodus chapter 19. Let's begin with verse 1. What's happening here is the children of Israel have been delivered from Egyptian bondage. They've made their way out. If you don't understand that story of being delivered from Egyptian bondage, go watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Not the new one, man. Just watch the old one. Amen? I love that. Go watch it. And they come out of Egyptian bondage. And God doesn't take them to the promised land that he promised them immediately. Because he says if you get up there, you're going to get into war and you're not ready for war yet. So he takes them back to the heart of the desert where Moses came from. He takes them to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And he takes them to the base of it. And here's where we jump into the story. Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. Eight different times he ascends the mount to talk to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is really the language of marriage. It's covenantal language of marriage. It's beautiful, actually. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to all the people of Israel. This is repeated now in the New Testament by Peter who says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen for God's particular purposes. Verse 7, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before all these words that the Lord had commanded and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So what ha is happening here is there's a covenant, there's an agreement. God gives an agreement to them or gives an offer to them so to speak. If you'll obey my commandments, I'll make you a special people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. I'll make you special among all the nations of the earth. And the people are standing there at the base of the mountain, and they're saying, all that the Lord says we will do. Boom. According to Jewish history, this is when the nation of Israel was birthed. That's it. This is when Israel was born as a nation. 
before, of course, there had been Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and men of God and Noah and Mo- Moses and all. They've been men of God, people of God, but now at this point, he's separating them and saying, now I'm making you a nation of people. This is what the rabbis in the Jewish culture believe was the beginning of the nation of Israel and the origin of the festival of Pentecost. This is where it began. And then after this, God starts giving the law. He starts telling them how to live as a people, how to operate in society, how to take care of each other's goods, how to not be thieves, how to live moral lives, how to have a family. I mean, he goes through all these amazing laws throughout the rest of the book of Exodus and into Leviticus and some in Deuteronomy. And he goes through all of this wonderful law, teaching them how to live as a people. And also he teaches them how to worship, how to worship the priesthood, the tabernacle, the offerings, all of that stuff comes, and it's absolutely beautiful. It was amazing. God gave his law because he loved his people. So we think of law in a negative way. It shouldn't be thought of as a negative way. It was a blessing to the nation of Israel. Now, Paul writes against it because by Paul's day, you had people off in an expanded version of the law created by the Pharisees and the scribes. That were all of these extra rules and legalistic rules placed on people. And, and Jesus cut right through them. Amen? And then in the New Testament, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all the law. All of the sacrificial system pointed and built to him and he fulfilled it all. He was the last sacrifice. All of the priesthood basically came to an end in him. He was the great high priest of the order of Melchizedek. It comes to an end in him, basically. Now we're all priests, which priest means one who goes before God. Now all of us can go before God. Wow, I could get off on this and go down a rabbit trail here and teach for a while. But Passover was when the children of Israel came out of Egypt God told them, go sacrifice the lamb, put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your house. I'm sending a death angel to Egypt, and he's going to take out the firstborn of all humans and beasts, and I'm going to show my wonders in Egypt. But if you have the blood applied, the death angel will pass over you. And so in Goshen, where the Israelites were living, the death angel saw the blood and passed over and took out the firstborn of all the Egyptians, the last and final plague that God had promised from the beginning of Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh. And so 50 days after that, they're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, getting ready to receive the law of God. Moses goes up on the mountain, and the Bible says he goes into the dark cloud of God's presence. There's thundering and there's lightning and there's signs displayed of God's presence. That was Pentecost. Penta means 50, 50 days after Passover. Also in the Bible, the Feast of Pentecost is called the Feast of Shavuot in Hebrew. Shavuot means weeks, weeks, because there were to be seven weeks from the Passover When Passover was over, the priest could come out, wave a sheaf as a wave offering, and seven weeks from that, plus one day, was the Feast of of Pentecost. So you have from Passover to Pentecost, 50 days. In the New Testament, 
This is what's so cool about God. He's a God of timing. He's a God of feasts and festivals and seasons. That God comes in seasons. And God fulfills three major festivals each year. Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. And so what happens is Jesus is crucified on the Feast of Passover. Why? Because He was the Passover Lamb. He fulfills all of that festival. And now by His blood, we've been cleansed. Now by His blood, we've been set free. Now by His sacrifice, we've been brought out of bondage. And then He rose from the dead on the third day, hung out with His disciples for those 40 days, taught, ate some broiled fish on the lake shore, walked through a few walls, appeared to some people, and then He ascended to heaven. And before He left, He told His disciples, He said, Now you guys go tarry in the city of Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that I talked about, which is the Holy Spirit. Now you go wait. So after 40 days, they went for 10 days and waited in an upper room and had a prayer meeting for 10 solid days. And then, boom, the Feast of Pentecost came. And when Pentecost came in Jerusalem, they didn't have lightning and thundering like we see in Exodus, but they said they heard a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And it started blowing. And it came into the room and filled the place where they were. And then they saw tongues of fire, like flames of fire, setting on each head of each person, about 120 in the upper room. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in, in Exodus, the beginning of Pentecost was the giving of the law. In the New Testament... Pentecost was the writing of the law of God on our hearts by the Spirit. In Exodus, Pentecost came 50 days after deliverance from Egyptian bondage. In the New Testament, Pentecost came 50 days after Jesus offering the sacrifice that would set us all free from sin and bondage. In the Old Testament, Pentecost marked the beginning of the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Pentecost began Mark the beginning of the church. Hallelujah. That God had now formed His church and called a people out of the world to be now His royal priesthood, His special treasure, His peculiar people who would show forth the praises of Him who brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I love this stuff. I'm just going to throw this one out for what it's worth. Three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles I don't know I feel the Lord's going to return on tabernacles when I don't know if you know you're wrong so I'm not going to speculate and fret over it I just know he's coming in the future and I believe he'll come I believe he'll fulfill the feast that's my I'm just saying it out there because Rosh Hashanah and approaches us to the Yom Kippur the day of atonement and it's signified by shofar blasts. And there's these staccato blasts, warbling blasts, and then the last blast, which is a long, prolonged sound of the shofar. At the last trumpet, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven 
with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God. Hallelujah. Then the dead in Christ shall rise. I've done God over in these weeds now, but hallelujah. I just believe God's going to fulfill all the feasts. Let's back into, back into Pentecost here. So what is Pentecost? In the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. Why? Because they had all come there to celebrate the Feast of Passover or Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Why? They're on the streets hearing the rocking prayer meeting where God has shown up and blown in with Holy Ghost power. They're hearing it on the streets. And they were amazed and astonished and said, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I thought these were country boys. They're hillbillies from Galilee, yet they're speaking in the languages of men. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. They're drunk. It's interesting that when the Spirit came, He came in power and authority and filled them. There's other terms used in Acts. There's outpouring, there's falling upon, there's uh, baptized into, there's filling. He came and he filled all those believers and I believe two miracles happened on that day. Number one, when they were filled, they began praying in languages that they had not learned. And then the people in the streets heard them in their own languages. I believe it was a twofold miracle. I believe they were praying in tongues and the people were getting divine interpretation on the streets. Because when God baptizes a person in the Holy Spirit, He gives them a language. He gives them a language that they can pray in. We call it a prayer language. I love it. It was Oral Roberts' term. A prayer language is given to you. A language for you to pray in. And what's interesting is that we've had documented records throughout the years of people receiving a prayer language and it coming out in a perfect foreign language and then other times not being in foreign language. I believe it's the language of angels. Dana and I were here several weeks ago on a Wednesday night and I've been teaching on Wednesday nights and Dana is my audience. <laughs> and a young man entered. I don't know if he's here this morning, but a young man came in. And I don't think he would mind me telling this, but it's too late now. <laughs> I knew the young man. And so he stayed afterwards and he wanted to talk to us. And so we, we, we asked him for prayer, if we could pray for him. He said, absolutely. So I started praying for him. And uh, he had, I think he would admit it openly, he had been involved in, in, in mythology, like Norse mythology, and uh, heavy. And had made his way through many other religions and just searching. And so I laid hands on him. And I began praying in my prayer language. 
And I noticed it changed. Didn't it? We both distinctively recognized it changed. And I went into something else. And I started praying over him. And after it was over, we kind of looked at each other. And he said, I've studied books of languages of angels. And you were praying in the language of angels. Don't know if that's right or not. But something was happening that we distinctively realized as I was praying in the Spirit. Because when we get a prayer language, we're not praying according to our mind. It bypasses the mind. It comes spirit directly to God's spirit. And we pray, Paul said, mysteries in the spirit. We speak mysteries in the spirit. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and settles on a person and fills a person. So let me talk about the term baptism. Because the Bible says that Jesus would come and baptize people in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you guys in water, but there's one coming after me, talking of Jesus, who's mightier than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love J.H. King's old take on that. He said after the day of Passover, Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they could only eat bread that had no yeast in it. But when Pentecost came, they could bring out the yeast rolls again. Can somebody shout hallelujah? And the priest brings out two big yeast rolls. And you can smell that bread, I imagine, the whole way. And he brings it out. And that's what J.H. King said. He said in the Pentecost, we get two yeast rolls. One's the Holy Ghost and the other's fire. He brings out the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. So anyhow, the term baptism means to be totally immersed in, totally dunked under, put under. Well, I believe there's three baptisms in the New Testament. Number one, there's a baptism into the body of Christ. Paul says when you're born again, you're placed into the body of Christ. And when you're placed into the body of Christ... He says, it's interesting, there is now, now no more Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all have been made one and to drink of one spirit. I think Lestasia was saying it this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're flesh, you're a candidate for the spirit. We're all one body now, no matter what socioeconomic background you're from, no matter what, if you're male or female, no matter what country you come from, no matter what race you are. Once you're in the body, we become a new creation. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about one new man, and he's talking about the body of Christ, that now the wall that divided us has been separated. He was talking about between Jews and Gentiles. That wall is gone. Well, I'm going to apply it to today. All those walls that separated us in the natural, we leave outside the church because we're now one body in Christ. We're all born again, part of the same body. There's baptism in the body. Secondly, there's baptism in water. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized, Mark 16, the same shall be saved. Repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul baptized them in the name of Jesus in Acts 19, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we're baptized in water as a symbol of our old man being buried to the, to the past and then rising as Jesus rose from the dead to the newness of life. And Paul talks about baptism in Colossians 2 and says it's a circumcision of the heart. That the old man is cut off and now you become a new person in Christ. 
And we believe in immersion baptism here. We baptize, I'd want to tell the folks who baptize, I say, listen, when you put them down, if there's one inch of dryness on them, take a scoop of water. And just get them all, because it bothers me if somebody comes out a little bit dry. I want you to, baptism means to be immersed, come on. There's baptism in the body, there's baptism in water, and then there is a baptism in the spirit. One of my mentors, Elias Malky, used to teach it this way, that when you're baptized into the body of Christ, your spirit is baptized into Christ. When you're baptized in water, your flesh is baptized in water. But when you receive the baptism of the Spirit, the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions is immersed and imbued with the things of God. Years ago, 1800s, 1821, one of the greatest evangelists America's ever seen was a man named Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a lawyer, and he was in his law office after he had been converted. He had a radical conversion. And after he'd been converted, he was in his law office, 1820, and he wrote these words. He said, as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I realized I, or I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without my recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed like a fan to me, like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out of the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after another, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die of these waves if these waves continue to pass over me. And I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore. Yet I had no fear of death. And how long I continued in this state with this baptism continually to roll over me and go through me, I don't know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was a leader of the choir, came into my office to see me in this state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? And I couldn't make him no answer for some time. And then he said, are you in pain? And I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, no but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the church office and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church whose shop was nearly across the way from our office. And this elder was a very serious man and in my presence had been very watchful and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. But when he came in, I was very much in a state in which I was I was when I was the, the young man went to call for me. He asked me how I felt and I began to tell him. And instead of saying anything, he fell into the most spasmodic laughter. And it seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. They were having a Holy Ghost meeting in 1821. Finney's getting filled with the Holy Ghost and the spirit of laughter got on a very serious elder a precursor of what was getting ready to come. 
1900, there was a prayer meeting in Topeka, Kansas with a minister named Charles Parham. And Charles Parham led this all-night prayer meeting, and he had asked his students at a Bible college he, he was overseeing to study the book of Acts and see if you see any sign, any one sign more than others that appears when the baptism of the Spirit is given to an individual. And so they all studied it, and they all came back separately with the same conclusion, and that is we see the people speaking in tongues. And so when they came back, they held an all-night prayer meeting into the new year of the new century. And that night in that all-night prayer meeting, there was a lady named Agnes Osmond in the crowd who received the baptism of the Spirit and began to speak with tongues. She spoke and wrote in Chinese for three days. After that, oh, I love this stuff. Y'all have time with this today. Amen. KFC still going to be open. Just let you. So, Charles Parham had a lady come work with him who had been a slave in the state of Virginia, an African-American lady. And she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit under his teaching and pastored a holiness church. There was a young man in her church named William J. Seymour. William J. Seymour was living in Houston at the time and it was during segregation days, and Parham would come and teach, and so he couldn't come in the class with the rest, but he set his chair outside the classroom and heard the doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit, that he could be baptized. Then he moves to Los Angeles, California, and he believed in this experience and preached it, but had never experienced it himself. And he said, I'll tell you what we need to do, folks. We need to get my pastor. Her name was Lucy Farrow. We need to get her, and we need to bring her here. So Lucy Farrow, this former slave, shows up in Los Angeles, walks into a white man's house. And as soon as she met him at the door, the man said, can I receive the baptism of the Spirit right now? She said, let's hold on, son. And they sat down at dinner. And they sat Miss Farrow down at dinner, and they're there eating. And at one point, the, the historians say she stopped and put her utensils down, stepped up from the table, and walked around and laid hands on the head of the household, and he fell out of his chair baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost came to Los Angeles because of that one woman. And then after that, they began a meeting where they had day and night prayer and revival for three years. And people came from all over the world to see the move of God that was happening on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, pastored by this African-American holiness preacher. Oh, hallelujah. Man, I got chills all over me right now. There was a man from, from the Carolinas named Gaston Barnabas Cashwell. And he was kind of frustrated at one point in his life, and he was supposed to show up at annual conference. And he wrote his superintendent and said, I can't be there this year because I've heard of a revival in California. <laughs> I don't know why this is messing me up. But. And he said, I got on a, I'm going to go and see what it's about. So he got on a train, and he went all the way from Carolina all the way to Los Angeles, California. And he walked in. And he was offended because it was a mixed racial meeting. So he went to prayer and God melted that racism in his heart. And he said, those brothers laid hands on me and it felt like liquid fire coming into me and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
And then he said, they bought me a new suit and bought me a train ticket home. And he came back to Dunn, North Carolina. And in Dunn, North Carolina, he found an old uh, tobacco warehouse and he began a revival there that became the Azusa Street of the East Coast. And there he had women preachers and men preachers and he had blacks and whites all in the same meeting because as one reporter said when he went to Azusa Street, he said the color line was washed away in the blood. Why? Oh, hallelujah. Because God... I think God inaugurated, the Holy Spirit's always been in the church. Since the day of Pentecost, through the, through the early patristic fathers, into the Middle Ages, into the Reformation, the Holy Spirit's always been in the church. But something amazing has happened in the last 100 years. And that is the Spirit has been poured out in, I mean, immense measure all over the globe. That now hundreds of millions are praying in tongues across the globe. I can't help but believe it's some sort of mountain of prophetic, you know, when, when there's mountains of prophecy. There's a fulfillment here, then there's a fulfillment here, and there could be a fulfillment here. So when Joel prophesied and said, this is that, that God said in the last days I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. The last days began at, in the book of Acts in the upper room. But I somehow think we're on another mountain of prophetic destiny that now we're living in a century of the Holy Spirit where God's pouring out His spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. And He's getting an army that is able to go forth not only to preach head knowledge but to prophesy heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the leper cast out devils and operate in the depths of the miraculous oh somebody shout hallelujah we are living in that day Hallelujah. We are living. We are the church of that day. We're the church of the Spirit. I don't know why people are staying home this morning. I want to get in the house of the Lord. I want everything He has for me. I want to be on the cutting edge. I want to walk in the door of faith and receive everything the Holy Ghost can pour in me. I want to move in miracles and signs and wonders. I want to lay hands on the sick and they walk in sick and leave well. Come in wheelchairs and walk out carrying their wheelchair with them. Hallelujah. I want to preach to that gets so hot that the convicting power is so intense that no sinner can sit under my preaching. I want to see angels flying in. I want to see oil dripping from some people's hands. I want to see some miracles happen. Come on. I, we're that church. We are in that day, a day of the Holy Ghost. Oh, somebody shout Hallelujah. Smith Wigglesworth was a British plumber who couldn't read or write. And he would go to these prayer meetings with an Episcopalian couple in England. J.H. King, the founder of the IPHC, was a preacher in some of those meetings. Because God spoke to him through a prophet who came and told him, said, the Lord says you're to go around the world. He's like, Really? And he was living in Falcon, North Carolina, I think, at the time. And he said, I couldn't sleep for days. And it just wore me out. And finally, I realized I've got to go around the world. And the man went around the world. And it's amazing what happened in his journeys. But anyhow, he encountered these, uh, the Brodies in England. And they had, they said in one of their meetings, they would have a lot of people baptized in a spirit. And one of the guys that had received the spirit was a rough plumber. And his name was Smith Wigglesworth. And he prophesied before he died 
And he said, there is coming a revival. I see it now. I see hospitals being emptied out. There is coming a revival, and I see hospitals being emptied out. But it's coming to the churches who aren't afraid of the Holy Ghost. It's coming to the churches who aren't afraid of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we declare right now, come on, lift your hand. We're not afraid of the power of God. Let us be one of those churches, Lord, where you come in the fullness of your power and authority and pour out your miracles through us and in us in the name of Jesus. Can somebody shout amen? amen. All right, let's, let's, I, I got, I could, I could go down this line for the Cherokee, North Carolina, late 1800s. There's a prayer meeting happening, late 1800s. People in that prayer meeting began speaking in tongues. They would later become known as the Church of God. G.B. Cashwell, who went and got baptized in spirit, came back to Dunn, was in a meeting with A.J. Tomlinson, the founder of the Church of God, and as he's preaching, Brother Tomlinson falls out of his chair and is baptized in the spirit. He shows up in Tocoa, Georgia, and J.H. King, the founder of the IPHC, comes to the meetings and didn't believe in the baptism with the speaking in tongues. So he goes back and studies a Greek commentary on the Greek New Testament text, and he says, oh my gosh, every coming in the New Testament of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came with speaking in tongues, or it was implied. And he went back to the meeting convinced and received the Spirit himself. Talk about God using a man. I have a good friend right now named Randy Hill. God sent him to Dunn, North Carolina. <laughs> and he said, the Lord told me to come here and redig the wells. Redig the wells of revival. Hallelujah. All glory to God. So how do you receive the Spirit? How many of you want more? I'm just, I don't know, I'm telling all these stories. I want more of God, don't you? I want more of Him. And I think the key, the whole, let me just put it this way. The whole key is faith. That's the whole key. You can open the door by faith and walk right into the baptism of the Spirit. But you can have some hindrances. And I want to make sure to preach it till you get these hindrances out of your life. So that your faith can be pure and you can receive everything you want to receive or you need to receive from God. So let's roll. Somebody say, preach on, Brother Hunt. How many give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty. Okay, thank you. <laughs> to receive the Spirit, it's all a faith thing. But number one, you don't need to grieve the Spirit. There's actually a grieving of the Spirit in the Bible. The Bible talks about it. Ephesians chapter 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So let's get all that stuff out today. Lord, I get all the bitterness out. I take the grudges and throw them away. I forgive everybody. Because I want to receive everything I can by faith from the Spirit of the Lord. I want, all the, I want all the doors shut and the door of faith opened in my life so I can walk in and receive the, for, the, the power of God. So, you know, the holiness people talked a lot about the cleanliness of it all. And I appreciate it. I came out of that. So what I came, I'm still in that. I think, I think we're still in that. But anyhow, I love it that, you know, they would preach you got to go through Passover to get to Pentecost. And then what did they do when they arrived at the Mount Sinai? God said, tell them all, sanctify themselves. Change their clothes. 
wash themselves. When, Pente when Pentecost happens in modern-day Israel or modern-day Jewish community, they do a mikvah, which is a bath, a ritual bath to cleanse themselves because they know God's getting ready to meet them. It's interesting, when God gave Joshua the commandment to go take the city of Jericho, he didn't come down first and say, here's the, here's the deal, boy. I want you to get them trumpets ready and get, that, get the band ready, get all the guys out there, and y'all march around and do it. No, no that came second. The first thing that happened is God showed up and said, sanctify this crowd. Get them ready to be my army. Get them ready to walk in my power and my battle plan. Because if God gives you power and you don't have the character to handle that power, because I'm telling you, gifts can come by faith, but fruit takes some discipline and some work. We want both gifts and fruit, not just gifts or fruit. There's a lot of people that have great character and no power. And there's a lot of people who have great power and no character. We want great character and great power. So let all the bitterness go. Let all the forgiveness go. Get out the grudges. Forgive Joe from 40 years ago. Forgive Susie from stealing your crayons in kindergarten. I mean, get it all out. Let it all go. Start speaking words of kindness to one another. Because the Bible said, if I read it right, that we are to be kind to one another. Stop being a jerk to people. Stop being rude to people. That's not a characteristic of a Holy Ghost-filled person. Come on, Brother Hans. Come on, just preach it, Brother Hans. Stop quenching the Spirit through your lifestyle. Be welcoming of the Holy Spirit in your lifestyle. Let me get in your junk door. Just going to go ahead and do it. Just. You know that drawer? It's got the keys and it's got band-aids and it's got... Let's just get in it like... And, it, and you, you open it up and it goes... <laughs> We're going to get in that drawer. Be careful what you let in your ears and what you let through your eyes. Because it's hard to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you're feeling it with, with, with movies that are F this and, and taking God's name in vain. And I'm telling you, man, it just, I have a friend named Kent Christmas. He said, I went to a movie one time years ago. He said, I went and they started taking God's name in vain. And he said, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, if you still want me to move in your life, you've got to get out of this place. That's holiness preaching, but we need more of it. Amen. You got to turn off. You got to turn certain things off your eyes. You can't. You, if you want, if you want to flow in the Holy Ghost, if you want to flow in this, you got to get closer to the throne. You got to ascend up higher on the mountain. You got, come on. It hit me Wednesday. I was teaching through this that Moses went up on the mountain, and then and then he received certain laws, ten commandments, certain societal laws, and then God said, "Come on up." And the NLT says it this way: He went up higher. And when he went up higher, he received all the commandments about the worship structure. I don't know if we can map that out biblically, but it seemed to me as I was teaching it that there was another level Moses was going through and two when he received the tabernacle structure. So listen, you can play around in the outer courts, but what's allowed in the outer courts ain't going to be allowed in the inner court. And what you can walk in the inner court with will kill you when you walk into the Holy of Holies. 
Come on, somebody. What you are playing with in the outer court will kill you once you walk into the holy place because the high priest couldn't have any sin in his life when he walked into the most holy place or the holy of holies or God would strike him dead. When you're touching the holy things of God, you need to realize I'm in the presence of holiness here. I'm in the presence of the mighty God of Israel. I'm in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I search my heart and I want to be clean. I want to be a pure vessel because I want the power of God. I need the Holy Ghost. I need the power of God in the morning, at noon, at night, when I preach, when I deal with my family, when I talk to people, when I pray, I need everything I can get from God. Come on, just say, let it go. Lord, I let it go. And then there's an obeying God, that God speaks, and when He speaks, you have to obey Him. It's a key of faith. When God speaks, obey, and this has been my goal. I failed in it, but it's been my goal in life to obey the Lord and obey Him quickly when He speaks to me. When I know it, I want to obey Him and obey Him quickly. Because when you wait on things, you can get callous to what God has spoken to you to do. Dana's got this thing, it's like, it's, it's convicted me. We'll go in a place and, and we'll see somebody who is sick or having a problem and Dana will look at me. And I'll be like, are we going to pray for them or not? I'll pray for them. Hold on. And I'm just... Swallowed that pride and walked right up. Hey, man, I love to pray. I'm a pastor. I'd love to pray for you. And we've always been received with love. I know there's some jerks out there, but we've been received with love. And we've been allowed to pray for people. Amen? Hallelujah. Had a, a good friend that came and did a uh, youth training two weeks ago for our youth. It was the greatest thing I think I've ever said in at Fountain of Life Church in 14 years. It was Randy Hill's son-in-law. He came and he taught about how to, to witness and how to flow in the prophetic. And he, and he goes out and he has hundreds of testimonies where he's gone out and he prays for the sick all out. This is using the Holy Ghost, right? He goes out being led of the Spirit and then lays hands on people and gives words and prophetic words at county fairs. He'll set up a Jesus tent and give words to people. He'll go into high schools, into colleges, and God give him word of knowledge. He'll walk amongst a bunch of athletes and just say, somebody here has a knee problem. And one will say, well, that's me. Gets him healed, and then he's able to preach to God. Crazy stuff. And I, I brought up a point. I said, you know what? I said, why is it that in the church we argue so much over these things? And we get caught up with all the why nots and why didn't God do this and why wasn't this one healed? And he looked at me and he said, because the anointing gets greater the further you get away from church. The further you get out in the deep, God's going to show up. That reversed my concept that we got to come to church, and this is where God is, and this is where everything can happen. No, God's out there too. God's over in Walmart right now somewhere. <laughs> He's somewhere in that place. God's over at uh, Lowe's right now. Hallelujah. On aisle 17, ready to bless somebody. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. God's over at IHOP this morning amongst all the eggs and grease. <laughs> He's in there somewhere. 
Hallelujah. He's at Muddy's Coffee Shop. <laughs> yeah, with the espresso machine. He's down there. He's waiting on us to show up and bless somebody. He's at the schools and at the fire departments and the place I can these guys go into. Taking the love of Jesus outside. Come on, somebody. Obey him. When he says, do it, do it. Lay hands on some, lay hands. Speak, speak. Shut up and be quiet. Shut up and be quiet. And the final thing is to receive the Holy Ghost. This is the whole kit and caboodle. You have to ask him. You have to ask. You have to ask. I love what Oral Roberts said years ago. He said, God showed him how to sow, sow into the kingdom. He said, Believe that God's the source of everything, sow a seed in faith, and expect a miracle. It's so simple. Same thing, I think, with the Holy Spirit. Know that God wants you to have the presence of the Lord in your life. Ask Him by faith, and then expect to receive it. You say, well, Brother Hans, if God wanted me to be filled with the Spirit, He would have already filled me. He'll fill me when He gets ready. He's been ready, children, (laughs) for over 2,000 years. He sent the Spirit in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago. He's waiting on you to open up and say, I'm here, I receive. I'll speak, I'll let it be known, hallelujah, I'll pray out loud, I'll come to the altar today, I'll do what you say do, Lord, and I'll receive. I remember uh, uh, my father-in-law, it was a great man named Roy McClanahan, and he was a coal miner, and he said, man, I was so hungry for the Spirit of God. He said, I would go to the coal mines every day. And he said, I just felt like if I climb that mountain over there, I'll receive. So he'd climb a mountain and pray. Didn't receive anything. Next day, I'd be like, if I climb that mountain over there, I think I'll receive, Lord. He would go climb that mountain. Then one day, he was in a backdraft down in the coal mines. He went back down another you know, alleyway. And he said, I started praying, and God baptized me in the Holy Ghost right in the coal mines. <laughs> Just ask. Just ask. Jesus said, what if there was a guy, he gave a story, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a person who had a visitor come to them at night, and they said, oh no, we've got guests, and I don't even have any food to give them. So this person goes to their neighbor in the middle of the night and knocks, could you, could you lend me two loaves of bread, because I have guests that have shown up, and the neighbor's like, be quiet. I'm sleeping and my kids are asleep. Go away. And Jesus said, what would happen? Well, he said, here's the key. If that person kept on knocking, even though the the owner of the house is stubborn, they will wake up and give them some bread just to get rid of them. Right? Just to get rid of them. It's like my cat. The guy's 15 years old. He's living with Alex and Axel now. But I used to be, we, he, for some reason, he learned to knock on the door. I'm A cat that knocks on the door. And sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd hear. I thought, I'm not getting up because he's going to be all right. And then and I'd be like, I'm getting up and letting this cat in the house. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, even if you're, evil, persistence will get to you. But he said, your heavenly father's not like that. He's not like the neighbor who won't give up. Your father is willing to give you. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father give the 
Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. God is just waiting here, ready for you. Receive the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I declare, receive the Spirit of the Lord. You say, well, Pastor Hans, I I received the baptism back in 1986. Receive a fresh baptism today in Jesus' name. You say, is that possible? Absolutely. Read Acts chapter 4. It's, it, be filled and be filled again and be filled again and be filled again. I'm going to give you a story or two and I'm going to pray. I, years ago we had a uh, small group in Washington, D.C. And I had this lady and her husband who had moved to the city with us and were working with us. And she came to our Bible study one night and she said, uh, just pray for me, guys. She said, I'm praying, but it seems like I can't get, my prayers won't get above the ceiling. Just, just pray for me. And when she said that, we had this Mexican lady in our group. And she looked at her and she said, Tonight you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, help us, Jesus. That lady was so bold. So you know what, you know what happened? We laid hands on that lady. She started speaking in tongues. And she went like this. She was so surprised. She came back the next time, and she testified, and she said, I'm telling you what, my prayers just like heavens opened over me. Just like heavens opened over me. And then God started moving in my living room during this Bible study, and I had a dear friend who was ex-Catholic, brilliant guy, businessman in D.C. He stepped forward, and he said, I'd like to receive the Spirit. And I thought, oh, wow. And my brain started going. You know, the wheels start turning. And, 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 and if you allow it, your brain will tell you every reason why this can't happen. And I just felt the Lord say, be quiet and pray for him. And so I just laid hands on him and I started praying for him. And then I felt one word, boldness, obey God. I felt one word. I said, the Lord says, speak out boldly what you hear. And when I said that, he started praying in tongues like an Appalachian Pentecostal. And I saw his wife started jumping straight up and down on the other side of the room. I'm like, yeah! I've been, all, I've been around a lot of the world. And when we get into praying in the Holy Ghost, it sounds all alike to me. Though different languages, when someone prays in the Spirit, I've been in India, and I've been in the Caribbean, and I've been in Africa, and I've been in South America, and I've been in... in uh, Central America, and I've been in Canada, and I've been West Coast and East Coast and North and South, and when somebody starts praying the Spirit, it's like, I'm home, man. I'm home. Because what was lost at Babel in Acts chapter 10, because they were in unity, and the Lord said, if I don't break this up, as long as they're in unity, anything can be accomplished, was regained in Acts chapter 2 as they were all in one accord. Now the language of the Spirit has come back in. Hallelujah. And God's saying, I'm going to unify them, but this time it's through the Holy Ghost. Come on, everybody stand with me. If you're born again, you're a candidate to receive the Spirit of God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now. If there's any sin standing between you and the Lord today, we want to pray about that. If there's any sin in your life standing between you and the Lord, we want to pray about it. And we have a promise. The Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He'll forgive us of all sin. If you've sinned against the Lord, if you've never accepted the Lord into your life, i got a promise for you. It said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. If you believe it with your heart, you're going to confess it with your mouth and confession will be made unto salvation. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess it, repent of your sins and walk on. And God will give you a new life and He'll start this new process in you right now. And then you're going to be a candidate for the Holy Spirit. You say, yeah, but Pastor Hans, doesn't it take months or years to be baptized in the Spirit? No, it doesn't. I had to learn this. I had to learn it. I prayed for eight months to be baptized in the Spirit. And I got rid of a lot of stuff in my life during that eight months. I'll just be honest with you. I burned stuff that was in my closet. I burned every album I had. I just I cleaned my life out. So I could, I wanted only the Holy Ghost I, I, just to receive of God. But I learned later on that by faith, you can walk into the baptism of the Spirit. They still need to live a clean life, but you can walk in by faith. I'll give you an example. My grandmother, she told me when I went to the altar and prayed to repent of my sins, I spoke in tongues. She said I was afraid to tell anybody because I didn't think they'd believe me. Number two, I had a guy come to my church when I was first pastoring. He was a, uh, he came out of a halfway house had been on drugs and alcohol and was a tattoo artist and he came to our church and uh, he received the Lord in a halfway house on a Saturday. We baptized him in water on Sunday night. After the baptismal service, I went down and laid hands on him and this boy started praying in tongues. And I thought, he didn't have no time. Thank God. He just came in by faith. He just came in by faith. So I preached a lot of holiness here this morning, but I'm telling you, you can walk in by faith to the things of God. Now, we want fruit and gifts, but you can walk in by faith. Come on, everybody that wants a touch of God, come to the altar this morning. Come on, just come to the altar. I want the altar workers to help me down here this morning. Hey, guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast, and I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us. 